I think most of us are hardwired to believe that if we do everything right, then everything should go right. Right? Right. If we obey the rules, if we keep our lives in order, if we treat others the way that we want to be treated, then generally speaking, our goodwill will come back to us. Things will play out for our good over the long run. In fact, I've noticed that this is also the formula that we use to raise our children. Obey, do your chores, get along with your brothers and sisters, and you'll be rewarded. Things will go well for you when I get home. But if you disobey, if your room is a disaster when I return, if you continue to bicker with your siblings, then there will be some serious consequences that you will have to face. I'm sure it's not the best way to parent, but it tends to be my default. And it's the default of many others as well. Be good, get good in return. Be bad, get bad in return. It's the formula for life so many of us operate according to, that so many of us deep down assume to be true, that if we do everything right, then everything will go right. And then suddenly, something goes horribly wrong. And that's when we feel bewildered, maybe even betrayed. God, I'm a good person. She's a good person. I'm doing everything right. He's doing everything right. Why then is everything going so wrong? I have felt this tension many times before, and I imagine you have too, maybe even now. This, by the way, is a tension that fills the pages of Scripture. Sometimes it's under the surface and sometimes it takes center stage as if the biblical authors are having an argument with each other about the happenings of life. On one side of the argument are books like Deuteronomy and Proverbs. From their perspective, life is pretty straightforward. If you obey the commandments of the Lord your God, then you shall live and become numerous. The Lord will bless you and keep you safe, but... If your heart turns away from the Lord and you fail to obey his commands, then calamity will certainly fall upon you and your family. Disease will strike your house and you will surely perish. That is pretty straightforward. There are others too. Train up a child in the way he should go and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Boom. That is simple, clear. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and he will make straight your path. That is, things will go smoothly for you. Okay, got it. Commit your work to the Lord, and your plans will succeed. Yes. The righteous are delivered from trouble, but the wicked make their own trouble, and they will not escape. The scriptures are full of these kinds of straightforward statements. But then there's the other side of the argument, the side that steps back and says, hold on just a minute, for I actually see the wicked prosper quite frequently. I commit my work to the Lord and, and then went bankrupt. I trust in the Lord with all my heart and things are not going smoothly for me. 
And I also trained up my child in the way that he should go, and boy, he has departed from it now that he is older. The most obvious side of, our most obvious example of this side of the argument can be found in the book of Job, who is introduced to us as blameless and upright, one who feared God and turned away from evil. Not only did Job do everything right, he went above and beyond, even offering burnt offerings for his children just in case they had rebelled against God in their hearts and didn't tell anybody. And then out of nowhere, right in the middle of him doing everything right, everything goes wrong. Calamity after calamity strikes Job. His children die. He loses his property, his possessions. His wife abandons him. His health falls apart. His life completely hits rock bottom. All that he has left are three friends who start quoting Deuteronomy. Job, the math is simple, they insist. If you obey, you get blessed. If you disobey, things go bad. Look, your life is a wreck. So clearly this means that you did something wrong. And so the argument rumbles on for 30-so-odd chapters. But in the end, Job is the one who is commended by God. As God upends our inherited logic, yes, Job did everything right. But no, that doesn't guarantee that everything would go right for him. Now, with this in mind, I want you to take note of how Joseph is described in our gospel reading for today. Joseph was, quote, a righteous man. And for a first century Jew, this is a supreme compliment. It meant that Joseph's life and his dispositions were conformed to God's law. That like Job, Joseph respected the commandments of God. He, he carried them out faithfully. Young Joseph had done everything right, and yet in our story today, everything goes wrong. Mary, the, the woman to whom he is engaged, is pregnant, and it wasn't by him. He's devastated. He makes plans to break things off, but even still, it's not that simple. You know, in our world, breaking off an, an engagement, that's, that's pretty painful, yes, but there are no lawyers involved. But this here in this story is no mere engagement. You see, in first century Jewish custom, there were two steps involved in marriage. The first is what is translated here as engagement, but other versions of the Bible more accurately translate the term as betrothed or pledged to marry. It essentially means the establishment of a marriage contract, that that has taken place. It's usually arranged by the parents which means it is a legal arrangement that can only be terminated by death or divorce. The second step is a marriage feast. It's held up to about a year later, after which the couple then begins their life together under the same roof. Joseph and Mary are in between these two points. They are contractually bound to each other, legally married, yes, but still waiting for their marriage feast. And so, as you can see, breaking off this relationship, much more complicated and painful than we might have first imagined. 
It entails some sort of divorce, some sort of legal action. Things are not going well for Joseph. His divorce of Mary can be pursued in one of two ways. The way most men would have handled it would have been to publicly shame her, to bring her before the religious authorities, exposing her, making Mary's father return the dowry that was paid to him by Joseph's family. The other route would be to divorce her privately. And now, yes, Joseph would still have to endure a great deal of embarrassment in his community. He would still have to face a lot of questions from his peers and his family about what went wrong. But it does feel like the more admirable decision to show Mary and her family a little compassion, a little mercy. I wonder, though, if Joseph wasn't torn at this point. Because up to this point in his life, he had done everything right, and look where that got him. Maybe it's time for him to make a big fuss, to dismiss Mary loudly, perhaps even violently. I mean, that wouldn't have been technically wrong here, so why not? But as the story goes, quote, Joseph, being, again, a righteous man, unwilling to expose her to public disgrace, planned to dismiss her quietly. He continued to do everything right, above and beyond even, even as everything goes wrong. Maybe he thought, that will get things back on track for me. Maybe now everything will go right for me again. Well, you know how the story goes. For Joseph, things now go from bad to worse. An angel appears to him in a dream with these instructions. Don't divorce Mary, but instead take her as your wife as you had planned, for the child conceived in her is not from another man, but from the Holy Spirit. Now, I realize that we've all been primed here to read these words as good news. And yes, uh, from our perspective, this is good news, that, that the promised king of Israel is now coming into the world to restore and make all things new. But consider for a moment how Joseph must have heard these words. Consider what he was signing up for. In taking Mary as his wife, he would be subject to endless scrutiny. I mean, however Joseph had reacted to the news of Mary's conception by the Holy Spirit, you can bet that others would not react in the same way. They're just not going to buy that story. Everyone in that shame and honor culture would know that this child was not born nine months after the marriage feast. They would know that Mary had already been pregnant. And that would mean that either Joseph and Mary had had sex before their marriage was to be properly consummated, or that she was unfaithful to him. Either way, the result was that they were going to be shamed, socially stigmatized, second-class citizens forever. By doing everything right, everything was going wrong for Joseph. Everything he had worked for, his reputation in the community, his standing as a righteous, law-abiding Jew, it would be gone. My friends, Joseph did not have a very good first Christmas. If he continues to do everything right, he knew much, much, much could go wrong. 
and would go wrong. What was he to do? Verse 24. When Joseph awoke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took her as his wife, but had no marital relations with her until she had borne a son, and he named him Jesus. Not one word is found on the lips of Joseph in all of Scripture, but his actions speak volumes to us today. They tell us that we're never promised things will go right if we do everything right. Sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. But that's not why we are to strive to do everything right. You don't do everything right so that everything will go right, but so you will become the right sort of person for any and every circumstance that may come your way. You do everything right so that you might become a righteous person for the kingdom of God. You do everything right so that you might play the right role in God's bigger story. You see, Joseph teaches us, he reminds us that our lives are not our own. That our lives are not just about us, they're about a larger story. A story about God seeking to make this world his home again. And in the meantime, as we wait for that great day to come, we do everything right so as to prepare the way. We do everything right so as to lay the groundwork for that new day that is here and that is on its way. Joseph, you see, he understood this, right? He wasn't entitled for everything to go right. He just knew he had to do right. Now, I don't know this for sure, but being a righteous man, Joseph, like very familiar with, likely familiar with the Hebrew scriptures, I imagine Joseph knowing a certain verse from Isaiah very well. It's the first verse in the third major section of Isaiah, a section that is giving hope for a people living in exile, or in our case, a people living in Advent. It is Isaiah 56, verse 1. Thus says the Lord, maintain justice and do what is right, for soon my salvation will come. I'm not sure there is a better verse that describes the season we are in, the season of Advent. Maintain justice and do what is right, for soon my salvation will come. That's why you do everything right. Because we are living foretaste of that salvation that is to come. And because, yes, because we do live in a dark and evil age, even if we do everything right, things will not go right. Indeed, many times things will go horribly wrong. But nevertheless, we fight the fight. We do what is right because our salvation is nearer to us today than when we first believed. The night is far gone, the day is near, and so, my friends, let us not grow weary in doing what is right, no matter what happens, for surely the Lord is coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus.